Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Round two coverage of the NBA playoffs here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? We are live on AMP. So if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feed, don't forget AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We have a jam-packed show today. The Warriors even up. The most entertaining second round series here in the NBA playoffs. I've beaten the crap out of the Lakers tonight. A bunch of adjustments that we all kind of saw coming took place, and the Lakers did not handle it well, and um, some adjustments I expect them to make, and what I project for the rest of the series moving forward. And then last night, the Boston Celtics got back on track um, against the Philadelphia 76ers, notching a similar type of dominant victory. Have some thoughts on that one as well. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, for whatever reason, you guys missed one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish. Don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops tonight. And last but not least, you guys have heard me talk about game time. If you're looking to get out to any NBA games or an NHL game or a baseball game that's becoming harder and harder to find on television or even a concert or a comedy show, game time has amazing last minute deals on tickets to all of these. So if you're looking to get out to watch your favorite NBA team play in the playoffs, Game Time's got a deal for you. If you want to go find your favorite Major League Baseball team and watch them, Game Time has a deal. I am uh, on May 23rd, John Mayer, in his final tour with the Grateful Dead, uh, or the newest version, latest version of the Grateful Dead. They're coming to Phoenix, and I already got tickets in the nosebleeds, but uh, I'm thinking about trying to upgrade those to some pit tickets and try to get a little bit closer to the stage. I'm going to get on game time. I know I'm going to be able to find a good deal, and I know it's going to be a great experience. No matter where you guys live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the game time app 
Enter email and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, you know, over the years, you guys have probably heard me repeat many things uh, many times on the show. And one of the things that I consistently um, say on the show is I just don't care about box score numbers, particularly counting stats. Um, I think they're a part of the story, but generally speaking, that you know, you might find some indicators for specific players that are indicators of their engagement level, right? Like specifically with LeBron and AD, I'm always looking at things like rebounds. Like when they're rebounding well, that typically means they're athletically engaged in the game. But like a lot of times with scores, we focus on the points per game and field goal percentage and stuff like that. And we don't pay close enough attention to the dynamic that's taking place on the court. Steph Curry had 20 points and 12 assists tonight. Save relatively pedestrian stat line, right? Nothing exceptional happening there. Um, but I thought he was far and away the best player on the floor tonight by a mile, right? You know, like game one, Anthony Davis was the best player on the floor, but the box score was much more revealing of that. 30 points, 23 rebounds. That's, you know, I, I saw some metric. It's like only four players all time have ever done that. And they're all the all-time great centers, right? But for Steph Curry, it's pretty pedestrian stat line associated with what I thought was an extremely dominant performance. And that's why we can't always look at the box score. Steph Curry, in my opinion, got robbed of a finals MVP in 2015 for this very same thought process. People saw relatively pedestrian box score numbers by his standards. And they saw Andre Iguodala have a good scoring season uh, series, right? And then they looked at LeBron James' field goal percentage. And essentially were like, oh. Andre Iguodala, most valuable player of the NBA Finals. And that just wasn't the story of the series at all. Anybody who watched the games, and I said this at the time and have said this repeatedly since, you watch the game and it's like Andre Iguodala was pressured up on LeBron James in large part because it's Matthew Dellavedova and Timothy Mozgov and just a bunch of lower-level NBA players that Golden State didn't have to guard, and so they had a wall behind him. And so LeBron's efficiency tanked as part of a team defensive strategy and a gap in talent between the two rosters. And Andre Iguodala was getting all these points because the Warriors could not guard Steph Curry with Matthew Dellavedova straight up, and so they had to start trapping pick-and-rolls. And that was the beginning of the beautiful... Draymond Green, four-on-three, short roll down the middle, drawing in the defender out of the weak side corner, kicking to Andre Iguodala. Like, again, Andre was amazing in that series. He defended LeBron James extremely well. About as, I, Andre Iguodala has defended LeBron James better than any defender I've ever seen defend LeBron James. So I'm not trying to take away credit for him. But what happened in that series was he was getting wide-open shots in the corner because of Steph drawing multiple defenders from the top of the key. The Warriors, by far, their most valuable player in that series was Steph Curry. And tonight was a very, very similar type of dynamic. We um, talked, I talked a lot about this over the course of the last couple of days, but Steph Curry in pick and roll, it's just a little bit easier for him to get separated from Jared Vanderbilt. Simple dynamic of physics. In a top lock or lock and trail system, he really only has to worry about one direction that Steph could run, either into him or, or back cut, or if he gets lost and he's in a lock and trail, then all he has to do is trail him, right? Just follow him around. But in an on-ball situation, he's squared up with Steph. Now he has to worry about left and right. Steph can use multiple dribbles to get him set up for the ball screen. 
and that screen can flip its angle in a way that they can't in off-ball actions. It was just the obvious adjustment that was coming. Where I was super disappointed with Darvin Ham from a game plan standpoint, I'm not sure if this was Darvin Ham's game game plan or if it was Anthony Davis from just a mental focus standpoint. And Anthony Davis had a nightmare game, and we're going to talk a lot about him here later on. Uh, But Anthony Davis was coming way high on every single one of those screens. Now, I knew that was a possibility as part of Steph pick and roll. You guys remember what I said was if he could get Jared Vanderbilt caught on the screens, he can get more separation, which will force Anthony Davis to occasionally have to come higher up out of his drop coverage, which will open things up for Draymond Green in the short roll, right? But they did it every single time. Like, even when Jared Vanderbilt was there, there were possessions where it just looked like a blitz because Jared Vanderbilt is trailing Steph completely attached and Anthony Davis is still coming way out, which doesn't make any sense. And we'll get to that in a second. But all game long, it was Draymond Green in that short roll. And obviously the Andre Guadala in this situation was Jermichael Green in, in many cases, but it was a bunch of different guys. Andrew Wiggins hit a bunch of shots as well. Clay Thompson was fantastic. But like that specific dynamic of, of, trapping Steph Curry 30 feet from the basket and allowing the Warriors to play four on three sprung their offense. And so even though Steph had 20 and 12, which is a relatively pedestrian stat line, like I said, he was by far the best player on the floor. And it's been one of the most underrated parts of this entire era is that, you know, Steph's impact, just like many stars, just like LeBron throughout his prime, just like when we're talking about some of the top guys in the league now, but Steph obviously uh, to, I think he's the second best player of this era. So to a greater extent than most of those guys, he just has an impact that extends well beyond the box score. You know, from a, uh, this is where the Lakers, I think are going to need to counter because we talked a lot about this concept. How do you guard Steph Curry during the NBA finals last year? And it all to me comes down to your personnel. Like for instance, like I didn't, I, I think there's three ways that you can guard Steph Curry high pick and roll. And I think two of them are potential acceptable options. And then there's one that's like you should never do under any circumstances. Number one is drop coverage. That means you let Anthony Davis or whoever the rim protector is hang back in the paint or not come out too far. Maybe only come up to the free throw line so he can get to get to the roll man. And then you ask your guard to chase over the top and to apply back pressure. The vulnerability there is Steph getting separated from the ball, ball defender and knocking down pull-up threes, right? That's the weak point in that in that coverage. The strong point in that coverage is you never allow a short roll and you shut down the paint. And you're basically forcing Steph to make tough contested jumpers, right? That's good option number one. Good option number two is to switch. Because then at the very least, you're forcing Steph to beat guys off the dribble. And he's amazing. He's, like I said, the second best player of this era. He's going to beat dudes off the dribble in a lot of those cases. Option three is the one thing you could never do, in my opinion, and it's to trap or blitz or to bring both defenders two step above the level of the screen because that's what opens up those four on threes. And it makes more sense against other teams in the NBA. When you're like playing Damian Lillard, yeah, go for it. When you're playing, you know, Jamal Murray or some of these other guys, like if you want to, Nuggets are actually a bad example because of Jokic, but some of these other on-ball defenders or on-ball guards, it makes more sense to do because they don't have the continuity in the personnel to, they don't have, they usually don't have a role man that's very good at making decisions or they don't have like the, the, the bang, bang pass sequences kind of lined up. This is a Warriors team that has been destroying this coverage for nine years now. 
Like you can ne- like that that's the one coverage you can never use against the Warriors is to bring both defenders up onto Steph because they're just too good at it. Draymond's too good at it. Even Kevon Looney's too good at it. They've they got their spacing down pat on how to attack that. It just it just it was a really bad strategy in my opinion. Like when we look at the the margin here and like the Warriors beat the shit out of the Lakers tonight. But like I don't I saw some Lakers fans in my mentions when I because I predicted the Warriors would win by double digits tonight. I've had a pretty good feel for this series so far. I predicted the Warriors would win by double digits. I had Laker fans in my mentions like, nah, we're going to go up 2-0. This is going to be a... No, no, the Lakers might be a little better than the Warriors. They're not going to blow them out every game. That's just not going to happen. The Warriors might be a little better than the Lakers. They're not going to blow them out every game. A good portion of that margin was effort but there were two things in particular from that game that translate forward that could be a problem for the Lakers and it's that Steph high pick and roll thing and then something we'll talk about in a little bit which is Clay Thompson on Austin Reeves and some of the damage that he did to him there but like obviously the margin doesn't tell the full story but this specific battle as we shift to the Lakers at home in game three it's going to come down to coverages in that high pick and roll now what I would do if I was coaching the Lakers I would start in the drop coverage Jared Vanderbilt was the hero of game one because of what I broke down for you guys, which was back pressure, his ability to pursue over the top of screens and bother Steph from behind. It's beyond me that they didn't give him an opportunity to demonstrate that again in this game and just came way up high on those ball screens every single time, basically removing Jared Vanderbilt's athleticism from the equation and putting your two best defensive players furthest away from the basket while everyone else is rolling towards the rim. Now, again, like with the Celtics, I didn't like the drop coverage because I thought they had great uh, uh, switching personnel. When you have Al Horford and 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 uh, Marcus Smart and Derek White, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you can switch everything because everybody's a great defender. And yeah, Steph's going to beat some guys, but it's going to be more difficult. And you have more athleticism in rotation. This Laker team is fundamentally constructed different. D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves are below average athletes. You know, LeBron James is a defender that, like, he's when he's engaged, he's great, but he can kind of flow in and out of it sometimes. Switching is not the ideal coverage for this Laker team. For them, drop makes more sense because they have a longer defender that can actually bother Steph from behind in a way that Derek White and Marcus Smart can't, and they have a much better drop coverage big in Anthony Davis on the back line than Robert Williams and Al Horford. So again, it depends on the roster that you have, but for this particular Lakers team, I would go with the with the drop coverage that they used in game one. Then what I would do is if it if if Steph starts to just torch Jared Vanderbilt and pull up three point shooting, which by the way, like uh, again, I have to rewatch the game and there's a lot going on at the same time, but I don't think Steph hit a pull up three in, in pick and roll. And correct me if I'm wrong on that, but if he did, he only hit one or so. Like Steph wasn't torching them in pick and roll as a score. They they didn't even give him an opportunity to get that going before making that adjustment. What I would do in game three is I'd run that drop coverage, give Vanderbilt a fighting chance. If Steph hits two or three pull-up threes, then you can go to the next best option, which is switching, which is less than ideal for this particular roster. But then you put the onus on Anthony Davis to sit there and defend Steph Curry, you know? And obviously then there will be another counter for the Warriors there because then at that point they can probably try to use Steph as more of a point guard and to try to get the ball to other people with with Anthony Davis away from the back line. Like this is going to be a chess match that goes a bunch of different directions over the course of the next however many games this goes. But I do think Darvin Ham made the wrong decision tonight, and I do think that there's a good option for them to counter going into Game 3. 
Um, the other biggest adjustment that we expected the Warriors to make in this game was to go small and get out and transition. At the time that we started the show, they had a 17-3 to fast break points advantage. Um, they went small with Jamichael Green, which is a decision that I was a little confused by um, because I'm a big believer in, like, if you're going to go small, go small. Like, if you're going to go small, go in on offensive skill. You know, I, I would have probably started pool, but that said, it worked out great because Jamichael Green kept getting those wide-open corner threes. So, again, it's, like, it's less about, like, what you're – uh, plan is, and it comes down to execution at the end of the day. Um, uh, but they got out and transitioned more. They dominated the, like, as good as the Lakers have been in the half court defensively since the trade deadline, all season long, they've been an atrocious uh, uh, perimeter, excuse me, an atrocious transition defense team. Um, they have too many guys that like to complain at the refs. Anthony Davis is super susceptible to games where he jogs up and down the floor in transition. They don't get matched up. They don't communicate. They're a bad transition defense team. We saw that at the end of game one. We saw that throughout this game. So the two counters that the Warriors made monumentally shifted this series. And it's going to be up to the Lakers to adjust back. And again, I do think effort was the biggest factor in this game. I, I don't I don't remember the exact stat but I've read something the other day that like something crazy, like 15 consecutive times that when the home team, that is the series, uh, uh, home, the home court advantage team loses game one, they win game two every time. Like I don't even remember the last time the road team went up 2-0 on the road. It just is extremely rare in NBA history. There's always going to be an effort gap. It's a natural ebb and flow that you see over the course of the series. The more desperate team usually comes out and plays a lot better in the margins and they end up getting a win. And the Warriors did tonight. Again, that's not to say they wouldn't have won the game anyway, but I think that's more indicative of the margin. I don't think the Warriors are 30 points better than the Lakers in a one-game sample size, obviously, right? But moving forward in the series, Steph high pick and roll, going small and getting out in transition. And then the third one, Clay Thompson and Austin Reeves. So Clay had a bad shooting night in game one. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the Lakers keeping them in the half court a lot. But early in the game, there was something that stood out to me quickly as, as Clay got off to a hot start. I think he made four of his first five shots or something like that. Um, Austin Reeves is just a little too small. And he's not as in and, and, and a little too like uh, uh I, I should say small from a muscle standpoint as well. And Clay was just really good at setting him up for his off ball actions. And like even even with Clay with his little step back jumper that he takes from the mid-range, you can always tell when Clay gets like great separation and great lift. That shot goes in almost every single time versus when he's really being bothered by a bigger, stronger defender. He fades more and it's a much tougher shot, right? Like I was worried about the Clay Reeves matchup in game one, even though the box score looked pretty solid. I kind of, I, I believe I mentioned that in our game one show. I don't remember um, exactly, but that specific matchup is going to be another one that's going to be a problem for the Lakers moving forward in the series. So as we sift through the effort related stuff, those are the positives for the Warriors. Steph pick and roll, getting out in transition by going small, Clay on Austin Reeves. So let's move to the Lakers side a little bit. Uh, LeBron James got his jumper going in this particular game. Didn't shoot particularly well in the second half, but the game was kind of out of uh, out of the grip at that point. Um, I said this a bunch in the show with the Nerd Sesh guys yesterday, but LeBron James is a great postseason jump shooter. Has been forever, like basically since the ever since the the 2013 playoff run when he won his second title in Miami, all the way to this year. With exception of the 2015 postseason, he's been an above-average, good-volume jump shooter. Um, I want to say he's like 37% from three on like six attempts in his previous five playoff runs. Like LeBron's a good jump shooter who happens to be in one of the worst slumps of his career. And so 
I uh, that's why I was never really overly critical of LeBron James continuing to shoot because he's just trying to shoot his way out of the slump. And most importantly, they're going to literally need him to be uh, to knock down those shots in order to have any chance to win this series in the long run and really any of the series moving forward. Um, so that that I think is a, a relatively good sign for the Lakers that he got that going a little bit. Anthony Davis. Look, like I'm as big of a believer in the Anthony Davis ceiling as anybody. And I think a lot of times, like some of my AD takes get pulled out of context as if I'm an AD hater. That's not the case. Like I'm so high on AD and what he's capable of that I've said this on the show and I believe it. I think he is capable. I should say his ceiling is every bit as high as Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Arguably higher. Coming into this game, Anthony Davis might have been the best player in the postseason so far overall when you factor in his defensive impact. But he just has this tendency, especially after he plays well, to relax. And look, like I'm not sitting here expecting every game to be this unbelievable MVP type performance. That's not true for anybody. Like LeBron James is the only guy I can remember ever in NBA history, my time watching the league, to like be dependably great in every postseason game. And it, and that that those days are gone too as he's gotten older, but from basically 2020 to 2013, like I said, during that that span, LeBron was the safest bet in sports. Like it's just oh, big playoff game LeBron at a minimum is going to be 28, 8, and 8 with excellent defense and 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 apply a ton of rim pressure and make a ton of plays for his teammates. Like he was dependably great. And then and then he would be, you know, uh, with the upside of potentially going for 40, 12, and 13 on any given night, right? Like, like that, that but that's why he's the second best player of all time. And I'm not trying to hold Anthony Davis to that same standard, but for Anthony Davis, his fluctuations are even more extreme than what you would expect. Like a normal superstar level player in the league, it's like sometimes he's great, sometimes he's not so great. Sometimes he's great, sometimes he's not so great. AD will have stinkers. Like straight up play awful, well below a superstar standard. Like one day he's the best player in the world, next day he's Clint Capella. Like that's the kind of thing you get from Anthony Davis. I, this, I saw this stat earlier and this is crazy. Game three against Memphis, 31 and 17. Game four against Memphis, 12 and 11. Game five against Memphis, 31 and 19. Game six against Memphis, 16 and 14, although I thought he played great in that game overall. I just didn't need to score very much. Game one against Golden State, 30 and 23. Game two against Golden State, 11 points and seven rebounds. Like, we're not talking about the difference between you going like, oh, you know, Jokic was a little off tonight. He only had 24, 11, and 7, and he was kind of inefficient. No, like, that's not what you get from these Anthony Davis bad games. He's a complete no-show. I The same dominant defensive performance that he had in Game 1 was a complete... He, he was a step slow on all of his rim reactions. He was jogging back in transition. Like I said, I don't think Darvin Ham wanted AD to blitz every ball screen. I thought he was making bad reads. So, like, I don't know what was going on with Anthony Davis tonight, but this is a, a thing that I've consistently seen. And, that, like, I would love to say that Anthony Davis is the best player in the world. But, like, I, he's not going to be in that conversation ever until he finds a way to cut out this, like, one out of every three games is just a total stinker. It, it's like a legitimate part of his basketball identity, and I don't have a good explanation for it. He's not soft. This is not like a, oh, we switched Draymond Green on him and he shut him down. I've watched Anthony Davis earlier this year towards Draymond Green, including hitting the the dagger in his face on the left baseline. 
Like, Anthony Davis plays great in physicality sometimes. It's just he'll bully the hell out of a team one game, and then the next game he just won't be there. He just won't be engaged physically the way he is. It's not a soft thing. It's not a skill thing. It's strictly a mentality thing. He struggles to bring it with the same level of intensity every night, and his down intensity isn't just down. It's way down, and that part is is confusing. But again, um, I expect the Warriors to stick with the same game plan moving forward, maybe tweak the Jamichael Green thing. We'll see. Um, I think the Lakers will start with a more of a dramatic AD drop coverage, maybe go to some switching and then the role players need to play way better. Austin Reeves played really poorly in this particular game. D'Angelo Russell, I thought was pretty sloppy overall. Like they're going to need better performances from some guys on the margins as well. Um, this to me feels like a series where game four is going to be the determining game. I expect the Lakers to come out with a similar type of chaotic and frenetic effort in game three. I think they'll have a better game plan. I think the Lakers will win game three. Uh, probably not quite as comfortably as game two because the Warriors are a little more resilient um, in, in those down bigs. They're less likely to let go of the rope than the Lakers are. But in this game, uh, in game three, I expect the Lakers to win by 10, 15 points a little uh, comfortably over the Warriors. Game four is going to be the knockdown, drag out, rock fight of a game that is close late, and it's going to be Steph Curry in high pick and roll versus LeBron James and Anthony Davis and what they can do on the game in the game physically on both ends of the floor. That's going to be the game that determines the series, in my opinion. The Lakers will either go up 3-1 and win the series, or they'll uh, drop that game. It'll be 2-2, and then the Warriors will have a huge advantage heading home for Game 5. So that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. All right, let's move on uh, just really quickly. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because it was a it was a, a kind of a disgusting blowout. But the, the Celtics-Sixers game last night. And, you know, when I saw the score, I thought it was going to be much more lopsided than it actually was. Um, what I ended up, uh, when I was watching, like Embiid was amazing defensively in the first half. Uh, the the Sixers kind of hung in under like a, a crazy Boston Celtics effort. And it was actually 50-45 to 45 at one point. Um, I thought Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart in particular really set the tone with their defensive ball pressure um, uh, to start to start that game. And again, kudos to the Sixers for hanging in tight, but boy, did they let go of the rope in that in that third quarter. And Boston just has a ton of offensive skill, and when they start driving and kicking you to death, they start getting these wide-open threes for good shooters, and they can do a ton of damage very quickly. Um, I Here's what I'm worried about Embiid. Because again, like I thought Embiid was great to start that game, making all these out of area defensive plays. He was he was doing his job on offense, drawing attention. But there in the end of the second quarter, in particular, you could see he started to get tired, and there was like a layup that he blew right at the rim. This might have actually been in the third quarter. If I'm if I'm uh, I might be messing that up. I think it actually was in the third quarter. But he like early third quarter, Embiid like blows a layup right at the rim in transition. And where he just didn't didn't go up with force, just kind of like tried to tap it in and missed it. Then he missed like three or four jumpers in a row short. And I'm like, okay, that's fatigue. Like he's tired. And again, like I would have been so much more, I would have viewed this series as so much more of a toss-up if, if, if Embiid was really in a groove the way that he was when they beat the Celtics uh, like a month ago, right? But that's just not the case. Uh, Embiid is coming off this injury. He's clearly not moving as well as he usually does. That disrupts his rhythm and his conditioning. And like Embiid always struggles a little bit with conditioning, but it's exacerbated when he has to take a week off and all he can do is stand still shooting. And then again, when you need to dominate games from the free throw line uh, with the live dribble and triple threat situations, the way that Embiid does, it just is really, really difficult 
um, to to be as effective there when you're not in a really good playing groove. Like basketball just moves at a certain speed in a real game compared to a uh, a practice environment or in a standstill environment, and it's just really hard to replicate. And so, like as much as I, I again, game three, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Sixers had a crazy effort and won that game. They're that talented, and the Celtics are every bit as capable as the Lakers as just letting go of the rope as soon as they have a moment of prosperity, right? Uh, but I just don't know that they can beat this talented Celtics team unless Embiid is at his very best, and I just don't think he's at his very best. Um, all right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Um, I believe, um, I think we're taking tomorrow off, and then we'll be covering those games on Saturday morning and then going again on Saturday night. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys, and I will see you on Saturday night. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.